in episode 10, we discussed a new classical recording, Brunitsky Orchestral Works, Volume 1, by the Czech Chamber Philharmonic Orchestra, and that was conducted by Marek Stilitz. And uh, shortly thereafter, we were surprised because we were contacted by Daniel Bernardson, uh, who is uh, responsible for a lot of recordings of Ranitsky's music. And uh, we asked him to join us for an interview, which he was uh, kind enough to do. And at his invitation, uh, we also have Merrick joining us today. And so uh, we're really pleased. Uh, this uh, is an unexpected joy for us here. So welcome, Daniel and Merrick. Thank you. Thank you. Hello. Yeah, nice to meet you both. Uh, Daniel, I knew we wanted to talk to you when you signed your uh, letter, Ranitskily yours. <laughs> just, I, I've, I've, I've been a uh, music scholar myself, and uh, <laughs> when I saw that, I said, oh, I, 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 know, I know this is going to be good. So, so thank you for contacting us. That was great. Yeah, and on the... Um the website for the uh, Ranitsky project, it says that, uh, Daniel, you are the uh, mastermind of uh, that project, uh, which is uh, made great efforts to uh, get his music uh, recorded and listened to again. So um, can you just uh, tell us a little bit about your own musical background and then how you encountered uh, Ranitsky's music uh, to get this all started? Actually, today, I think myself more like an evil genius than mastermind but <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah now uh, my my background is uh well as uh, as a child i i sang in in choirs uh, and then uh, when it came to starting to play an instrument i had a choice of starting either with violin cello or piano and no actually it's with violin cello or recorder and and recorder i did not consider a real instrument and my mother played violins so i thought she wanted me to play it so i chose the cello so i started playing the cello when i was nine and i've been playing it since as an amateur i have never been very good at practicing so, <laughs> so it's on an advanced amateur level and no mostly i play chamber music with with friends but that also brings in how i kind of winded up with ranitsky i was very interested in in cello concertos as uh, a genre and i was so sad then it was back in my high school years that there were so few cello concertos and then it dawned upon me that there's not few cello concertos it's just a very small core repertoire that is played yeah. all the time so i started to look like what more works are recorded and then i collected those and then i went on looking at what else have been published but not recorded and i started to look at that and then i went further and started to look what has not been published and uh, on that way i ended up going to an uh, archive in the small cathedral city of skara close to where my parents lived because they had the manuscript uh, of a cello concerto by the Viennese composer Leopold Hoffmann. Uh, and I wanted to have copies of that. So I went there and uh, they allowed me to take photos with my camera and I took photos of that. And then I had some more hours to kill. So I went 
through the catalog of what they had, and I ordered up all kinds of random things, staying clear of Mozart and Haydn and everyone I knew, and I took photos of random things, symphonies, concertos, quartets, everything. Uh, and then when I got home, eventually I started to notate some of these works uh, in, in Sibelius, which I've been working uh, with for ages. The, and The software program, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and lots of, uh, of, of these works, it's qu quite a lot were not so interesting and I got bored after a page or two. But then there were some names uh, and works where I started with the work and I was like, wow, this is really interesting. And I continued through it. And I was so surprised by the quality of the music of these composers that I'd never heard. Uh, one of them uh, was a, a piano sonata by Leopold Koselusch. And I think this is fantastic music. I've never heard of this guy or his piano music. Uh, and then uh, another one, uh, it were these two symphonies by someone named Ranitsky, and I was like, this is really fantastic music. Who is this guy? Uh, so then I started to look, and, and, and for Ranitsky, there were a few recordings out then uh, with, with symphonies, and I got those, and I mean, it confirmed what I had heard, that, that it's, it's really a very good quality. His, his music, he compares very well to, to both Mozart and, and Haydn, but still has his own distinct voice. And then I started to look, then I started to, to get copies of the symphonies by Branitsky that we had in Sweden. And then I expanded getting the symphonies that are everywhere. And then I expanded to trying to get all Branitsky music everywhere and compile uh, a work catalog eventually of all of his works because it has not been done. The symphonies uh, were uh, cataloged by uh, a Czech musicologist, Milan Postolka, back in the 60s. And that's the only catalog that exists of any of Branitsky's music. And uh, there, there are errors in, in this catalog. He has included some works that are not symphonies, and it also manages to include uh, some works by, by other composers, because sometimes attributions are not correct. And there's also some symphonies that exist that were not known to him. Unfortunately for him, just after he released this book and uh, uh, invasion of Czechoslovakia happened and he got stuck behind the Iron Curtain so he really couldn't continue so much of his research otherwise I think he would have taken his research on, on Franitsky uh, much further but uh, he, he was researching both Kosolush and, and Ranitsky but uh, unfortunately I, I think he was not able to, to take it much further. I heard from uh, Christopher Hogwood, uh, who uh, was a friend and really the one who pushed me to, to start this Vranitsky project, uh, who had studied with Postolka in, in, in Prague, that, that Postolka was, was quite, quite bitter over not being able to, to carry on his, uh, his research uh, because of not being able to travel and, and get, get his hand on this uh, his primary sources. Well, there's a wait. There's a lot in there. I'd like to ask you about. Yes, long-winded. <laughs> no, no, it's fantastic. There's a lot of uh, information. Um, I, I think we should start though. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the composer's career? Um, Paul Ranitsky. When was he born? Where did he work? Was he successful? Can you tell us a little about him? Yes. So he was born in 1756 uh, mm -hmm. on December 30th. 
Uh, so he was born the same year as Mozart, uh, and he was yeah. born in Novarice, uh, which is a, a small village uh, in in southern now Czech Republic, right. uh, in in Moravia. So he's he's not Bohemian. That that part belongs to Moravia. Uh, okay. And in Novarice, you have this. Uh, now this was the Austrian Empire at the time. Station. Sorry. That was the Austrian was Empire the Austri- at the time. Yes, it was. Okay, in I just Austrian want to Empire. confirm that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and in Novarice, you have uh, uh, an abbey. Uh, so he went to uh, the the school there growing up and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, got his first instructions and in instruments mm-hmm. there. And also during this period in the 18th century, uh, the Czech lands were known as the conservatory of Europe because such large parts of the population uh, played instruments. And that's also why you had so many uh, really outstanding uh, Bohemian and Moravian composers and musicians at all the musical centers in Europe. Uh, and then he studied uh, in, in, in different cities in the Czech Republic uh, until uh, moving to Vienna to, to uh, study theology at the seminary. And uh, there he was already quite advanced in music and became the musical uh, director at, mm-hmm. at the seminary. Uh, but then at, at some point he abandoned uh, any uh, thoughts about a, a career in the church mm-hmm. and started to really devote himself into music. And then we know that by uh, 1783, okay. uh, he had become uh, the musical director by to uh, a Count Esterhazy, a relative to uh, to Haydn's right. uh, Prince Esterhazy. I see. Right, how old was he about at that time? Uh, he would be uh, like uh, twenty-seven, I guess. Okay. Uh, so it's it's fairly late. Uh, he mm-hmm. started with his compositions somewhere along. Then I think the earliest dateable compositions I've seen there survive only. Uh, quite a, f- a handful of his autographs, which he clear, uh, uh, clearly dated carefully. And I think the earliest one I've seen is 82 or 83. I see. Uh, and they were, were symphonies. Uh, there is a very large amount of canons and part songs that he probably wrote while he was at the seminary, but his uh, uh, compositions uh, for uh, for orchestra and and larger scale works did not do not seem to start until about 82 83 or something which is quite late considering like Mozart for instance been composing mm. uh seriously since he, he was well, he was Mozart was rather a special case <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah. Think, yeah so so he he started really quite late with with these serious uh compositions but then he seemed to have uh really been uh, gifted because he picked up really quickly too. He composed as many as 45 symphonies. 45 is the current number that I managed to count to, which are surviving. Then there are references to some some other symphonies that uh, most likely are different works than the ones that are surviving, which at the moment is, is unknown. And I'm sure there should uh, be more also uh, that were composed but uh, are lost but but especially the symphony was uh, a particular interest for him 
Okay. Uh, just, just out of curiosity, before we're going to be concentrating on his orchestral works here because of the recording, but um, did he write um, any other kinds of works, chamber works, solo piano, vocal operas? Uh, he composed uh, in, in quite a lot of genres. Uh, mm. I mean, he was a violinist himself, so he composed right. lots of uh, chamber music uh, with strings. Okay. Uh, there are some fifth to sixty string quartets. Uh, there's Armanes. It's uh, more than a dozen string quintets, dozens of yes. uh, of string trios. So, so it, it goes on, and then there's quite a lot of. Uh, chamber music with strings right. uh, with winds and so on uh, he composed quite a bit of works for the stage not as much as some some other composers but right. uh, with his work at uh, at the court theaters he composed some works and also for some of the uh, suburban theaters in Vienna did he spend his entire career at the Esterhaza family, or did he eventually leave them? No, that was uh, quite quite shortly. Ah. Because uh, he he's mentioned us as, uh, as working uh, for this uh, Count Esterhaz in seventeen eighty three. But then by seventeen eighty five, uh, he had become uh, orchestra director at the Kärntnertor Theater, okay. uh, one of the two court theaters in Vienna. Uh, today it's gone. It's located yeah. was located kind of where the Hotel Sasha in Vienna is located now. And then he held the positions at, as a first orchestral director at the court orchestras uh, until his death. So he was probably a very good uh, violinist getting that position uh, so early on. It makes uh, us wonder then, reading a, a bit of Renuzzi's history and the research I've been able to do, that it seems he was very well respected by Mozart and later uh, Beethoven held him in high esteem as well. Why has uh, history not been so kind to keeping his music being performed? Uh, why don't we know him uh, as well as other composers? I, I would say because of those two names you mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in, in, in the... Uh, looking at music history, it seems that uh, kind of it only manages to hold two uh, names at a certain time into memory. And at this uh, time in Vienna, you had Mozart, Haydn and Beethoven. And even Haydn, who was really a mus musical giant, has kind of uh, put, been put like uh, in, in third place there. Uh, so th there were so many composers in, in Vienna at this time, and lots and lots of gifted ones. But it's been very hard for many of these to, to break through, and they've been kind of called these uh, Kleinmeister, like these minor composers. And then they've been really totally overlooked. And while research and so on has concentrated on like the smallest, craziest details regarding most, like what was the color of his coat buttons or what pet birds did he have? And there's like papers on that. For for many of these other composers, they uh, we ba basically don't know more uh, than uh, when they were born and when they died and, and part of what they composed, but no one has really uh, made efforts to really look into these works. Right. I guess what I want to ask, and then hopefully I, we can bring uh, Marek in at this point too, then Mike and I are often, uh, Mike is really also interested in uh, very modern 20th and 21st century classical music. And, I, go um, the, I go the whole... <laughs> he goes the whole way. The, the whole and, history. Um, <laughs> we often hear or read about the challenges of, of a composer these days getting his new music you know, recorded and 
gaining interest um, from uh, musicians, com- conductors, and listeners. Uh, how hard is it then um, to get a forgotten composer from hundreds of years ago to you know to get people interested in taking this up? Does it have that allure of mystery as something that time forgotten, or is it even harder? And then out of that and what you've done to get this recorded, how did you then come to uh, meet uh, Marek and get this current album realized? Okay, I think when I've been running this Ranitsky project, uh, a website dedicated to uh, to Ranitsky and his works uh, for about 15 years now. Uh, and I've been contacted with quite a lot of uh, musicians and conductors who are interested in your work, but the thing is, mostly it's, it's community orchestras and amateurs, because the pro- big professional orchestras, they are so focused on the core repertoire that they don't really want to take any risks. And I know since uh, when I started this project with the help of Christopher Hogwood, he, who was a very respected uh, musicologist and, and conductor, he wanted to program Ranitsky, but the orchestras were so reluctant to program this, even upon his recommendation. Uh, and I know some some other uh, conductors uh, that also has wanted to 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 play him, but the orchestras no, and they just oh let's go with uh, with Beethoven number five or Mozart Elvira Madigan piano concerto again, and then this just keeps repeating and. Uh, right. and, and even if, if the conductors wants to bring it out, it's it's so difficult for them to get out there because whoever decides on the programming uh, is very reluctant to risk programming something they uh, know nothing of. Then now when it comes to recording, then I mean, this core repertoire is so completely over-recorded. So, <laughs> so putting out yet yeah. another cycle of, of Mahler or Beethoven or Mozart, I mean... There's thousands already almost. Uh, so you really need to put something, uh, bring something completely new and fresh to the table for that. And and then uh, getting uh, to this unrecorded repertoire, there's lots of really beautiful things, things out there. It's kind of like Hollywood keep making the same movies and sequels yeah. over again. Yeah, well, we discussed the Karensis new Beethoven recording a couple of weeks ago. So <laughs> no, that's, that, that there's, seems there's to more have... Beethoven to come. To. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to say here in Japan, whenever a, a foreign orchestra comes, they'll program, um, you know, say, Dvorak's Ninth Symphony always. You have to hear that work about five or six times a year. Because you know? <laughs> it's going to, because they, you know, they want to draw the crowd. It's like, well, why don't you play Dvorak's, oh, Eighth Symphony, you know, but people won't come. They know the, the new world and they they know the melodies and the, I guess they want to hear it. Yeah, I think there are ways around that. I mean, c- clever um, programmers can, you know, put a new work with uh, some really famous work and just kind of draw the crowd for the famous work and then hit them with the Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what these, these conductors have tried to do and put Ranitsky as one of their side works, but right. still it's so difficult getting it out there. Well. Uh, but hopefully now when these uh, symphonies are put on disc, I mean, uh, there will be an increasing knowledge of the name and at least there is like a reference so they can tell you like this is how the music sounds like and apparently there are good reviews and people like it so perhaps your audience will not suffer listening to it <laughs> well we we certainly didn't suffer it was no, it was it was good it was i mean good. that's what drew me to it i saw ronitsky and i said there's something i don't know then i listened to it and i was like whoa you know, just as you say this is not haydn and not mozart and yet there's something uh, original 
And I thought, especially the the two on the album, the C major and B flat major, they were kind of stately, but also really fun and enjoyable to listen to. And I listened to um, another recording by the North German Radio Philharmonic of the C minor and D major symphonies, but there's not a lot out there. Uh, Marek, <laughs> jump in and tell us, how did you um, get involved in this recording? And what did you know about Runitsky before that? Did you have experience with his music? Did you have some impression of it? Or was this something new for you? Well, I have to say this this uh, this 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 Ranitsky thing is is part of a of a, a a bigger project that 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 we do, especially with 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 Daniel and 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 with the others, and this is the project project Czech Masters in in uh, in Vienna that is very much focused on on Czech composers that were living in Vienna in 18s and uh, in the beginning of 19th uh, century, and we started with uh, music by Leopold Kozeluk that Daniel mentioned and uh, as, as as well, and we recorded uh, his symphonies and his coronation cantata and uh, other other stuff, uh, uh, vocal and instrumental. And uh, uh, we we sort of picked up from from hundreds of composers that were living in Vienna, sort of ten or twelve name that really brought our attention. And uh, after Leopold Kozeluch, where we did a lot of recordings and, and concerts as well, uh, we 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 went on to Paul uh, Vranitsky. And that, that 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 how I uh, you know and and the, how how we met with with uh, Daniel was pretty simple because I was you know trying to get as much as possible information about Paul Vranitsky in libraries and etc. And I simply get to his uh, 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 Vranitsky project webpage and I said, wow, there is someone is in in, in Sweden interested <laughs> in, in in Vranitsky and uh, and 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 that's so simple how how we get get in touch so thanks to this new new uh, technologies and, and from that moment we we started to to work uh, work intensively together because what, what was speaking uh, daniel about i think to make such a project in it needs a lot of fortune uh, coincidence and a lot of elements needs to be put uh, uh, together and and for me on the beginning was was uh, uh, a Naxos company that is a company with very good strategy for me because they really aim also for not only this uh, over recorded pieces but for fresh new uh, uh, repertoire and especially also for repertoire that was never recorded before which is I think for me very good uh, very good strategy and uh, you need also orchestra that that is willing uh, 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 willing to do and this is what we have with the with the Czech Chamber Philharmonic as Pardubice uh, and with 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 other orchestras because we somehow feel uh, those those uh, composers that were born in Bohemia or in what is now Czech Republic uh, uh, we really feel uh, that it is part of our cultural heritage and who else should you know record uh, those pieces and to play this music in in concerts which we also which we also do and and, and bring this music to audiences that that our uh, that our Czech orchestras, because we really feel this as a as a part of our cultural 
uh, heritage, not only the the world famous composers as, as, as Dvořák and Smetana and Janáček and Martinu and uh, others, but uh, uh, to show that we have also a lot of fantastic music like 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 this. I wanted to ask you uh, two questions about that. Um, I think you've partially answered one for me, but I, I wanted to know as a conductor what it's like working with musicians with previously unrecorded music. I've played in orchestras with like, you know, new 20th century music that I wasn't sure how it would ever, even what it, I knew what it sounded like. I still didn't know what it sounded like, but this is music that comes from a defined um, tradition. But I, I think you, what you've explained, um, because you're playing with uh, that regional orchestra and there's sort of um, an identity, I'm assuming that shared feeling of this is our music helps you to get the cooperation of the players and you're striving for a shared goal with that kind of music. Um, have there been any difficulties working with uh, musicians in you know recordings that don't have something to be compared to or performances? Yeah, well, well, I think, you know, it's it's always very helpful if you work with the with the musicians on, on, on project that they feel it 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 makes some sense at, and and it has some some uh, importance. This this always helps a lot, and uh, you know, of course, for 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 orchestra and for conductor to 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 work on this uh, completely unknown or, or on um, uh, pieces, it's if if you can compare it uh, um, to to skiing for example so so to play mozart or or haydn or beethoven today it's really like to go skiing in in a ski resort you know you can you can use a lot of technical equipment you can use your ski lift and uh, uh, there is a lot of machines that make uh, the the track very smooth and comfortable uh, uh, you know you can you can have a coffee in 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 a restaurant and 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 that's the way uh, uh, that you do uh, uh, Beethoven or Mozart because of course the musician play the music before you can listen to to hundreds of recordings to compare uh, different uh, styles etc you have uh, hundreds of book uh, analyses and and that's the situation but but uh, with the with the Wrangelski it's a completely different animal it's like when you go uh, with your own bag, uh, where you have uh, your your coffee and, and and your food, and you go to mountains that that no one walks, and you are probably the first person that 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 uh, uh, walks there, and you cannot use um, any equipment to to get up, only your own uh, own body, and uh, yeah, so that is this co uh, this comparison is is something I feel that is. Uh, essential because with Wrangelski we really work on these pieces after hundreds of years and of course the interpretation tradition is of course broken you you, you cannot discuss with your colleagues uh, and people don't have experience so that's 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 what i think about this yeah since you you've done a lot of recordings uh, and performances i assume too with uh, composers from your region uh, now Czech region, but um, in historically Bohemian, Moravian, Austrian. I listened to your uh, recordings of uh, Novak and uh, Fivich. Those are interesting to me. I had heard some Novak before, but I found the 
the uh, symphonies, particularly very impressionistic in their own way. But uh, I was really surprised by the Fibich in that I thought that was really great. The the symphonies were nice, but also the um, I enjoyed the pieces from the countryside, this sort of um, landscape images that come from that music. I found it really approachable and melodic, and I, I wondered myself, why don't more people know these works? But what I wanted to ask you is, what do you find in uh, the, the music uh, from the Czech region that gives it its own identity? Well, um, um, it's, it's, it's very wide range of uh, of music because the the, the middle european um uh re- region is, is is really so so uh, uh rich uh for, for for music because uh when we uh when daniel mentioned the the the, the nova Riche, so uh i mean 60 80 kilometers from there gustav mahler was born and and 50 kilometers from there bohuslav martinu was born and uh it is really um, it is very, very rich. Somehow, I would say too rich, and the competition is pretty high. That's why many, many uh, great composers are are left because simply the concurrence is 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 pretty, pretty high. And uh, I would say, what is uh, if you imagine the 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 Bohemia in the in the eighteenth nineteenth century? So I think what is very typical and that also for me then later encounter in Gustav Mahler's music that is sort of a sense of of this uh, of this uh, time and of this era is uh, is this fantastic mixture of uh, of many uh, uh, different features you know because in Bohemia there were uh, uh, living Bohemians Germans uh, Jews. It was sort of crossroads of the of the uh, uh, culture, and uh, this is, I think, uh, typical for th- this. This mixture is typical for for uh, middle middle Europe uh, music from time Branitsky, from time of Branitsky to to time of Mahler. Yeah, it's interesting. I want to ask. Um, I, now the, the composers we talked about from uh, like um, the area, the Czech Republic, and were all in the Romantic era. And this was a period when um, national identity was becoming a big, uh, you know, very important. Like a lot of composers were composing for, uh, us, you know, for the I guess the nation. You could say like you know people like Smetana and um, you know, we talked about Fidich and Novak, um, but. When I was listening to the Ranitsky recording, um, this is more. I, I thought of it initially as Mozartian. Okay, it's it's it's. There's a sort of um, style that was in use at the time, and I'm wondering. You talk about the a composer like Ranitsky as being your composer. Like, what are his? Um, how does he differ from Mozart and Haydn in in his uh, writing? Either one of you can answer this question. What what are his musical fingerprints? Like, what's you? What is? Uh, what makes him Ranitsky in his music? Well, maybe maybe it's time time for for Daniel to talk. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very very good uh, good question. I mean, the, if you listen to lots of composer from this time, you feel oh, it's Mozartian. But I mean, it was kind of uh, the 
common language at at, at this time and right, that yeah. is just the most well-known representative right. of it and uh, i mean he has his particular style within this framework and so does Haydn, and so does ranitsky uh, and and all these other composers. Let me just kind of make it a little, just kind of try to pull something out of uh, this, this question. Like Mozart, for example, is rather clever harmonically. You know, he'll kind of go far away from the, uh, say, the tonic, and then like by some you know, miraculous set of chords, get back to it. You know, it's almost like he's doing a magic trick. And Haydn is rather witty in his music. There'll be a lot of... Um, I remember reading uh, Robert Simpson talking about, like, for example, the Surprise Symphony. I forget which number that is, but um, where there's like this this really quiet passage for a long time, and suddenly the bang, this is big bang, and uh, he he put it there because his audience, he knew that the people in the audience, certain people in the audience, would be sleeping by that point, and he wanted to wake them up. And Simpson mentioned that you could just imagine Haydn peeping behind the curtain, watching these people when that part was coming up to see how they would react. I'm wondering if there's anything like that in Renetsky, if he has any kind of sense of humor, or is he, um, you, you know, what, you know what, what would you say about that? Ranitsky has a lot of humor oh, in his okay. music, uh, and particularly in a big body of work uh, that he wrote uh, for private, uh, private mm-hmm. performance for, for the imperial family, okay. uh, which was uh, written for entertainment. And then you have lots of extra musical things going on. You have uh, strange orchestrations with toy instruments. Uh, you oh. have... Uh, musicians uh, put in different locations around the room. Ooh, uh, lots of surprises good. and things. Uh, but this was not this was not music which was was published and and, and spread outside of the court. Uh, but also in his published music, there are a uh, lot lot of humor in it. Uh, he uh, is very good at at writing uh, really really catchy, happy happy music but i mean he can write very dramatically and somber and and noble also but i i think this kind of of happy joyful music it's something which uh, really uh, is at the core of what he's writing and it might also have something to do why he fell out of favor because uh, this seeing uh, symphonies as 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 kind of this happy joyful music etc that's did not sit very well with this uh, Beethoven notion of everything being extremely dark and difficult and complicated mm-hmm. and and so and during the Romantic period. Right. Um, but uh, but also he Ranitsky is pays a, a, a big attention to the orchestration, and you can really tell that he he was a working orchestral musician because there are so many things going on. In, in so many instruments and be, being a cello player myself I see like that the cello line is much more interesting in Ranitsky than than, than in Mozart and Haydn I <laughs> I think and the violas usually have interesting things to do and and I think in many symphonies there are he plays a lot with textures you have different rhythmic patterns going on at the same time in parallel between different instrument groups and then he switches it around and so on so he's uh, he's uh, a really great uh, scorer. Uh, Marek, what do you think? You, who has conducted and, and tried to bring some clarity in this? Sorry. How would you characterize this composer just from conducting him? What came out? Like, what did you notice about him? Well, it is uh, 
for me, uh, uh, Vrainsky is very uh, futuristic composer. Because if you compare his symphonies to 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 Mozart symphonies, those those Mozart symphonies are of course genius, but very conservative. But Wrangsky uh, uh, was a, a person that was pushing this genre, you know, on a new edge. He was a lot of uh, he was very much ex- uh, experimenting with with form, with structure, with uh, uh, you know bringing. Uh, crazy instruments uh, in you know um like for and, example what kind of crazy instrument well uh, where, uh, uh we had a uh, we played uh with with a Vranitsky kapella that is orchestra uh, a newly newly based orchestra uh for uh for this music we played a divertimento uh where where used uh, hammers for for example you know and uh, Ham- you make like a hammer that <laughs> to like hammer a, now? Yes, <laughs> like like two hammers. I think I think Daniel can 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 say more about this and even even one more instrument that that I uh, can, cannot remember now English. So Daniel can help me maybe. Yeah, this this was for a divertimento de binder. So it's uh, well, what's the English? The one who makes barrels. Uh huh. So what barrel making? Is it cobbler? No. Cooper. No. A Cooper, Cooper, there you go. Yeah, Cooper. yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. So, so it's uh, so it's about uh, divertimento uh, written for the imperial family, uh, some kind of ballet with with this. Uh, so there were parts for four hammers and, and also an axe, which apparently used when you build barrels. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds fantastic. Uh, of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's that's not really part of the craziest things he's put in his works. In in one of his uh, stage work he wrote for the court, there are parts for roasting spits when they are in in an inn. Right. Uh, there's also another thing he wrote for the uh, for the court where there is noise of uh, of chains that are shaking about. And in an opera that was performed, he had the Hackbrecht, uh, the Dulcimer, uh, a big concertante aria for soprano and Dulcimer. <laughs> so <laughs> so he, he really enjoyed putting all of these kinds of uh, strange instruments into things when when it was asked for um, uh, by the court or when he could use it on, on the stage. But but still, uh, the largest part of his uh, symphonies are like so-called absolute music symphonies. Uh, but he, he clearly enjoyed experimenting with lots of different instruments and non-instruments. Okay. So he wasn't conservative at all then, uh, it sounds like. He had a sense of humor and experimentation. Yeah, he, yeah. he also exper- experimented uh, with, uh, with space because there are sim- a small symphony uh, with flutes where two of the flutes are supposed to be put in other rooms uh, than the main orchestra. Uh, and yet another one where all the winds are scattered around the room and pick up and echo parts of what uh, the main string orchestra is is playing. And I mean, this kind of spatial experiment is is uh, quite quite unique, I think. Okay, would you say his main experimentation was with the the sound, um, with with the the instruments he used, or is there anything um, harmonic? Um, I think of like 
we, we Russ, Russ and I both like uh, Carl Philipp Emanuel Bach, and he has this way of um, just putting these bizarre chords in the middle of just this passage that, and just slamming on the rhythmic brakes at really unusual times. And I'm wondering if there's anything like, well, not like that, but that's sort of unusual harmonically or rhythmically in uh, Ranitsky's music as well. Uh, Marek, you want to answer this one? Well, I I think also he was uh, experimenting with with the with the genre, you know, getting getting some folk tunes in 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 the symphonies. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, as as Daniel can tell you, some some famous ones. Also, I know one of his symphonies that is using polonaise, which mm-hmm. uh, um, in it as a, as a third movement or something like this. Uh, this was one of the very first pieces I, I performed by, by Ranitsky and it was one of the pieces that really brought my attention and I said wow this is you know it's like maybe 10, 10 years ago uh, uh, was not part of this project but somehow, somehow I get to this uh, to this symphony and I said wow this is a very advanced uh, uh, composition you know uh, and probably this was the first time that brought my attention to Ranitsky when I really met uh, not only as a name in uh, in uh, uh, musical vocabulary, but uh, as a uh, really w- w- with the music, and also about about the texture he's he's using because he's using of the independent uh, uh, lines because in the very classical period way of using the orchestra, you have pretty clear who is playing the melody, who is playing the harmonic uh, harmonic accompaniment, and who is playing sort of bass line. Uh, that is the, the, the bottom of the of the music, but about the independence that uh, Vranitsky uh, brought to to the woodwind instruments and to the to the texture where where uh, this what is all who is it's much more polyphonic that that uh, the 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 composers before as Haydn and, and Mozart and the treating of the orchestra who is really the main melodic instruments and uh, who is the harmonic and who is, is is completely different and is really maybe probably this manner of, of using orchestra was common some maybe 20 30 years later than than he did so so he was really vision uh, really a symphonic visionary um in 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 this and important is also say daniel would maybe agree that uh, important was that um when he was composing his his pieces he had an extraordinary good orchestra in in his hand and also he had a very full woodwind uh, section that is used in in his orchestra and i think this was important uh, as well because where, where, when something new is uh, coming you need to uh, 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 you can write it but you need to hear it back as well and get get some uh, feedback yeah so that's maybe daniel can tell more about yeah yeah uh, no it's it's interesting this with with the writing new that you're talking about because so, so much of this music i mean when it was first performed it it of course was new and uh, there was uh, at this time there was so much new music all the time so you still had to keep in in uh, within certain boundaries not to have your piece crash and burn which uh, seems to have happened to beethoven sometimes with his more advanced pieces which actually seems to have crashed and burned a bit and were not so well received when they were first performed. Mike and I talk about this, that when we listen to music now, we, we can't hear it 
without going through our historical filter. Right. So so much of the so many of the pieces we know and we think, oh, that's just beautiful. And then if when I look up the history of it, I read that uh, people walked out of it, and the, the conductor <laughs> was asked not to return to the town. And I said, yeah. what for this wonderful piece? <laughs> and uh, so you know, the the way people heard things in different you know eras and locations was uh, quite different. Um, I thought it was interesting. Would you say then? Merrick and then uh, Daniel too, that Merrick, you mentioned that Ranitsky was uh, incorporating sort of uh, folk music elements. Uh, was he rather uh, early on doing this for uh, that region at the time? Or do you think that was a significant influence in his compositions? Yeah, well, I I think so. Of course, the the, the, the f- uh, folk music was, was always inspiration for composers from the beginning of the the music history so that's pretty clear but the way he uh, intercorporate this in in his pieces is uh, is challenging and also the melodic stuff really uh represents this uh bohemian tuneful uh, uh music and, and 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 the viennese elegance and uh, maybe uh, also uh in his uh, in this marches this 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 uh, this um, military music uh, tradition it's all reflected in 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 his in his music and uh uh just just one my uh, one my uh note that many of these unsuccessful uh premieres of the famous pieces sometimes also had uh, a very practical practical reasons uh, because sometimes the composers needed to to pay the musicians uh, uh, th- themselves which means there there were not many and uh, <laughs> they they didn't have uh, so many rehearsals and if you have a pretty challenging symphonies and and, and, and pieces that are ch- challenging even for today's musicians and if you imagine which can be prepared because you know you, you can listen to I don't know, Eroica symphony or, or whatever many times and you, and you can practice but if this occurs for the first time on your stand and it's much more longer than everyone you know expect and those pieces were unrehearsed and and things like this so sometimes the the reasons were also very very practical because I think this was also way they treated the music at this period very very practical maybe we have a very scientific and uh, you know, sort of romantic Malerian style of understand music and, and, and what is written. But for them was very practical, very practical matter. If if they come up with a symphony uh, with clarinets and, and, and they were not in the orchestra, someone came and trans, transposed it to oboes or I, I don't know. And they didn't feel it as a, as, as a something bad. It was, you know, it, it was a living, living, the, the music was a living thing and it was very, very practical, you know. After the Romantism and, and, and especially the 20, 20th century, our understanding of music changed a lot. Wow, that's yeah. fascinating. Yeah, we shouldn't romanticize the practical things uh, musicians yeah. have to deal with in any era. A lot of yeah. things have to be, decisions have to be made just to get the, the performance th- finished, right? I have a question about the era. Um, how was his music received in the era? Was he popular at the time when he was alive? Yes, and that's the interesting thing with, with these composers like like Ranitsky and, and Korsula, Korsula mm-hmm. and Pleyel and Jurovets and so on. Uh, I mean, it's 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 like music today. It's it's not that you only have 
let's say Madonna and Katy Perry. There's other musicians <laughs> as well, and we're listening to other other musicians. Uh, Thank goodness yeah. for that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, they were very well received, and, and if you if you read the, the the literature and so on from that time, you see like Ranitsky, they, they list major living composers, and they list Haydn, and they list Mozart and then Ranitsky comes just after them or or Beethoven or Ranitsky just comes after that and he was cut off cut off. Same with with Kosselosh, uh who uh, I, I know was called in some reviews the most beloved living composer in Europe at that time and especially because of his piano music which uh, he composed a great deal of fantastic piano sonatas which completely dropped out of of the out of the repertoire and just recently have been republished and and recorded something oh, I, uh, lots of music there that uh, lots of uh, of piano players should be playing but it just disappeared yeah i'd love to hear those are you listening record labels record some <laughs> Raniski piano sonatas i'd love to hear them now that, that was by, by Kostelos. Oh, Kostelos, sorry <laughs> okay I, mi- <laughs> I missed that translation sorry yeah Okay, um, as far as Raniski goes, um, how did his um, how did his life end? You know, what was he doing? How did he die? And where is he? Where is he buried? If we want to visit his grave, yes. So he died in in seventeen oh eight, and it seems that it it was rather sudden. Wait, seven. 1708? No. No, no, sorry, 1808. Okay, there you go. That's uh, the, the, yeah. the premiere of the uh, Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. Maybe that's what yeah. killed him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah he, he died He died uh, rather suddenly, it okay. seems. And he was buried in a graveyard which is now gone. It's, it's a park oh. in, in Vienna now. And they saved some tombstones from it, but not his. Koslush yeah. was also buried in the same one, and his tombstone was not saved either did they move uh, the bodies yeah they moved the bodies probably okay. to uh, some mass grave some oh, somewhere that's, that's sad. which is interesting now for uh, for austria now when it turns out that perhaps the austrian national hymn was a melody was written by Ronitsky. <laughs> but uh, yeah so he died died really suddenly and in, in rather poor financial circumstances it seems because uh, vienna at this time had really been plagued by this napoleonic wars uh, napoleon had, invaded Vienna twice, there had been hyperinflation, and Ranitsky, who was really quite well-paid musician at the court theatre, suddenly, I mean, he was getting the same wage, and suddenly it was not worth anything anymore. So he, he was he was really uh, not in a good financial situation when he died. But he seems to be very, very active uh, all the way up until his death. Daniel, you you really are an evil genius of Ronitsky. Uh, I think we could ask almost anything about him, and <laughs> you you would have the answer. I want to thank both of you so much for sharing your perspectives. Yeah, one more question about the project. Um, we ha- we just recently heard uh, volume one of this project, and uh, obviously there's going to be a volume two. How many volumes are planned? Can you tell us? Is is that off limits? <laughs> well, <laughs> can't reveal that. I would say simply as much as possible. Oh, I oh, see. Wonderful. It's open-ended. I, I think when it comes to symphonies alone, there would have to be some 20 discs just just for the symphonies. Uh, so please write to Nexus and tell them that you want to have yeah. more. We want, we want 20 more discs. I would, I would do that. <laughs> My question was uh, just more specific. Uh, could you tell us what's coming up on the next volume and you know, what we should listen for on that? 
So the thing with all these uh, initial volumes, the three first ones uh, with symphonies, I have selected a mixture of uh, like more absolute music symphonies, like the later symphonies, uh, and then like more special occasion pieces. So well, the first symphony, uh, no, the first CD you had the, the Coronation Symphony on this Opus 33, number one symphony and two uh, overtures. The second disc uh, is going to have uh, yet another Opus 33 symphony uh, and also a very interesting piece. Uh, it's uh, a storm symphony, La Tempesta, uh, which includes a 10-minute storm depiction as the finale. Uh, which is very interesting, lots of dramatic effects going on, uh, which predates uh, Beethoven's Pastoral Symphony. And uh, I've read a paper by a musicologist who have analyzed that, and uh, she has seen many parallels in what uh, Beethoven uh, did in his. And uh, this symphony also, uh, the music in it was also used as music for a play in Vienna which is uh, very likely Beethoven has heard. So it might, might have been something Beethoven had in his back of his mind when he wrote his, his pastoral. Also, oh. this CD uh, will include uh, an overture to an opera, Der Schreiner, uh, The Carpenter, which is uh, really interesting because Ranitsky is depicting the sounds of the carpenter working with the sawing, the hammering, and the planning in planing. In, in the music. I'm looking forward to hearing that. And I think after speaking to you both, I'm going to have to go back to uh, volume one and listen again now with, uh, with new ears, new, yeah. newly informed ears. Well, I hope that you have a long run getting as much of this music recorded as possible. We're certainly going to uh, be discussing the next uh, volume and keep our eyes out for future releases. Yeah, um, we'll mention all the future ones too. Yeah. Daniel, I'll include a link to the Ranitsky Project page. Before we close out, is there any other project that you've got going on that you think our listeners might be interested in or where they should uh, look for more information, uh, be on the lookout for anything other than what's on the Ranitsky Project page? Marek? Well, um, uh, I would, uh, uh, if, if, if our listeners would be would be uh, interested, of course, I invite them to, to listen to, to our Koželuch recordings that I think will bring a lot of uh, music that brings pleasure to them and also to to our um, and those who are interested in later romantic and, and modern music maybe you can listen to our Phoebe recordings oh, and to, 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 to upcoming uh, Vítězslav Novák series that already began with, with volume one and and the other will, will, will come soon yeah, Novak seems to be he's a, he's an, a composer who really should be uh, better known. He's 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 yeah. really he's very good. Yeah. Um, one one more question. Speaking of um, that, when when I um when we first reviewed the uh, Ranitsky uh, Volume One, I had you know, I had the name Ranitsky and I looked him up just to see who he was, and his, I found out his name was Pavel or Paul, and then he had a brother named Anton. So I said, oh, we got to re- make sure yes. we get the right the right Ranitsky. Tell me, can you tell me something about Anton? Did he have as big a career as Paul did, or is does anyone? And I can take this question. Sure. Uh, yes, 
Anton was also a very central uh, musician in, in Vienna at this time. He became the Kapellmeister to Prince Lobkowitz, uh, Beethoven's okay. patron. Beethoven's patron, yeah. Uh, so uh, Anton Ranitsky premiered lots of Beethoven's works. So he would also be playing like the violin part in the premiere of the triple concerto for the public performance and leading the orchestra in, in, in the first performance of the Eroica, since he was uh, the orchestral leader. Hmm. So he was very well situated. He also composed a lot of music, symphonies. There is a big body of over a dozen violin concertos, only a couple who, uh, which has been recorded, and lots of chamber music of, of very good quality, but uh, not so much of it got published. It seems he didn't become such a big household name. There are letters where uh, Paul is, is pushing for his brother's music to the publishers, but they don't seem to have picked up so much of it. Uh, but it's not uh, because of a lack of quality uh, at all. He, he's a very talented composer in his own right. I see. Okay. Well, we can look forward to that in the in the future, I hope, too. But for now, we'll continue with the Paul Ranitsky project. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks you both Thank you. so much for sharing your time and this uh, amazing information. So there you have it, our exclusive interview with Daniel Bernardson from the Ranitsky Project and Marek Stilek, the conductor of the Czech Philharmonic Orchestra, with the new release of Ranitsky Orchestra Works Volume 2 symphonies available right now on Naxos. And this is going to be an interesting one to check out. Uh, we've got a variety of works here. Der Schreiner, which means the carpenter. And this is also including three contrasting symphonies. Uh, the dramatic La Tempesta, which contains elaborate storm effects predating Beethoven's pastoral by over a decade. And then we also have the rather short symphony in A major, one of uh, Ranitsky's earlier symphonic period pieces. And then the symphony in F, which has some catchy themes and an interesting score. And if you haven't already, please do check out the Orchestra Works Volume 1 that also has some overtures on it and the Symphony in C Major, the Coronation Symphony, and also the Symphony in B-flat Major, Opus 33. Yeah, I've got to say, after uh, hearing, doing this interview, I kind of, a composer I knew nothing about, now suddenly I'm very interested and I really want to hear uh, th these two volumes, the new the new release and even any future ones they might uh, happen to release. This is pretty, like a pretty interesting project. Mm. An ongoing, uh, an ongoing series of works to record his music and hopefully we'll get a lot of listeners for this not new music, but newly recorded music from long ago. Uh, I enjoyed newly the first recorded one. forgotten music, really forgotten music. That's right. Yeah. So we'll put links to the Renitsky project, Daniel's homepage here, also Merrick's homepage, and do check out some of his other recorded works from this region. There's a variety of composers he's recorded works of, and we'll put down the two links for Naxos Volume 1 and Volume 2 and look forward to new releases of Ranitsky's music in the future. Mm -hmm. 